Prime Minister, it's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal. Hi there, I'm Paul Hutchin, political editor of The Daily Record. Um, thanks for joining us on another Planet Holyrood. Joining me this week are Planet Holyrood regulars. We've got John Ferguson, who's the political editor of the Sunday Mail. And we've also got Ben Borland, who's the editor of the Scottish Daily Express. So just to kick off, um, in previous episodes, they've been dominated by the long-running scandals over Operation Branch Form and the Nicola Sturgeon WhatsApp row, not to mention the Michael Matheson uh, issue over his data roaming. These things haven't really come up to any great extent this week, but it's still been a hugely important week given that the budget was pushed through by SNP and Green MSPs on Tuesday. And I think it'd be fair to say it was a very difficult budget. It was Hamza Yusuf's first budget in the job as First Minister. If you look on the spending side, there was a £196 million affordable housing cut. Um, there was a measly £1.70 rise in the Scottish child payment. And then on the tax side, uh, you've got higher rates for wealthier Scots and you've also got the controversial council tax freeze, more of which later. So the SNP have attracted flack from the left and the right. Just starting with you, John, Hamza Yusuf, when he ran for office, he said that child poverty would be his number one issue. Do you think that his first budget was the moment when his sort of dreams uh, hit or clashed with the, the reality of budgetary pressures? Yeah, I think that's true. Um, if you look at this budget, it's kind of really as different as the SNPR to the Conservative government in London. I think they're basically trying to do the same thing here. They're trying to balance a very difficult uh, public spending equation with throwing voters a bit of a bone in the election year. So you see cuts to public services that the Scottish government do directly control and then this attempt to give voters something in terms of a council tax freeze. The thing about that council tax freeze is that a lot of the services that um, help children and families that are living in poverty come through councils. And um, I think we can, you know, that's why they're so upset with um, being told that they can't increase the council tax and they're very worried that despite the fact Scottish Government have set aside some money that, to give them to make up that difference, that it's not going to be enough. I don't think anyone doubt that Humphreys have genuinely wants to do something about child poverty, that he's a genuinely left-wing-minded politician. But um, I, I suspect he does. He's, you know, he's just coming up against the bitter, hard realities of government and actually having to balance your books. Sticking with the council tax freeze, John, um, clearly this has been a, a tough one um, for local authorities. You know, Cosla are raging about it. Um, you've got Argyll and Butte Council defying the, the council tax freeze. It looks like Inverclyde Council might go for a rise as well. 
it seems like relations have just completely broken down between councils and the Scottish government. Yeah, and I mean, I think you've got to say this isn't that this isn't they're not. I don't think that the councils are playing politics with this necessarily. Um, I, I mean, it's interesting. For example, Argyll and Butte saying that they are going to go ahead with this ten percent rise. That the way council funding works, they won't get all of that ten percent rise. It will only be a small portion, so it's potentially going to be a negligible amount extra that they will actually be able to have to spend on services. Um, but I think that's probably more an expression of the desperate position that they feel they're in financially. Um, that we, we can see that there are real life examples up and down the country of councils actually going bust, um, falling into effective bankruptcy. We've seen in Glasgow City Council how they've effectively had to mortgage off the the city's most valuable assets, um, the Kelvin Grove Art Gallery, um, the, their own city chambers. So this is this is this isn't a political game. This is I think that the problem here is that councils really are skint and worried that they're not going to be able to pay their wage bill and deliver the services that they're expected to deliver. Ben, the added challenge for the Scottish Government with this budget is that it's in an election year, so it's been pushed through a few months before an expected Westminster election, where they'll get the blame for all sorts of things. In purely electoral terms, do you think that the SNP will, will get more flack for the spending cuts or the tax rises, by which I mean the income tax rises? Income tax rises. Um, I think it depends who you're more likely to vote for. Um, I think the Conservatives will, will make hay about the tax rises and they'll feel that their kind of voter base will be will be most aggrieved at the tax gap between Scotland and the rest of the UK being increased still further this year. It looks as though Jeremy Hunt's going to deliver um, tax cuts next week. So while John's saying, you know, that the, it's a difficult balancing act and the UK government and the Scottish government are facing the same challenge, Jeremy Hunt, it looks like he's going to find, um, uh, the report suggests that it might be a further cut to national insurance following the, the, the cut that he delivered in the autumn statement. So while the, you know, the, the economic outlook's the same, the UK government is managing to, to cut taxes I mean, they're still very high, but they're managing to cut taxes, whereas the Scottish government is putting them up. So, so I think if you're a conservative strategist, you're looking at um, let's make the most of this tax gap, the fact that taxes are rising in Scotland and uh, they're going down in the rest of the UK. Although, obviously, if it is national insurance that Mr Hunt chooses to, uh, chooses to cut, then we'll get the benefit of that as well because it'll be... Uh, It'll be a UK-wide cut rather than um, an income tax rate cut, which which wouldn't have any implication in Scotland. I think for for Labour, they'll be looking at the service, uh, you know, reductions in public services, uh, the NHS, schools, and, and arguing from the other side that uh, 
um, that this budget <coughs> is actually making Scotland, you know, a, a worse place to live uh, because public services are being starved of cash. Um, I, I think you know. So whichever basically, it way sounds like they're going to get it from both angles, from yeah, Labour yeah. and from the Tories. I mean, yes, is, ben, is there any silver lining here for the SNP government at all? I mean, could they maybe? I mean, for, run from, on the council tax freeze. From my point of view, the council tax freeze is the only silver lining. Um, not if you live in Argyll and Butte, and as you were saying, maybe in Clyde and other places. But I, I think. Um, a, a council, a freezing council tax, which obviously would would kick in from April. Everyone's going to see the benefit in their pockets and in their in the pay packets. Um, well, not in the pay packets, but you know, in the bank statements. Come the end of the month. So, oh, just to play devil's advocate with that, given that water is on the same bill and that's rising, um, the actual bill itself will still go up, um, whether whether or not. The average voter mm, looks true. at the bill and makes a distinction between council tax and water. Who knows? But very true. I guess people are going to have to actually stop and think if my council tax hadn't been frozen, my bill would have been X. Now, whether the SNP will want to make that point in the election campaign, it's, it's yeah. quite a you know, it's quite a hard one to get your head around a sort of notional bill of what your council tax would have been. Um, and, and then obviously, I think that the freeze has been such so badly handled and there's already been so much mud thrown at it that it, it, it doesn't feel like a big win for the SNP anymore. I know, it's slim pickings. John, just to briefly go back to relations with councils, we've had a couple of stories this week that... Um, the, the, the sort of situation, the relationship is so bad now that you've got Labour councils writing to Michael Gove asking that he just pass on Barnet consequentials directly to councils over the head of the Scottish Government. Because obviously the Scottish Government wants to put the council tax freeze condition on that funding. Um, it seems like a far cry from the so-called Verity House Agreement that was signed by Humza and the councils last year which was um, promising a, a new age of cooperation? Yeah, I mean, it does, it does seem like a strange move, doesn't it? It'll be interesting to see how Michael Gove responds to that. I don't think that um, he's going to be in a position to be able to pass on those consequentials as much as he might have liked to do so if he could. Um, I think it would certainly it would cause a political uproar if he was to do that. Um, the, I guess this is the point where things do get a little political and that if a, you know, you've got a Labour-controlled council, they're going to be more likely to want to um, pick a fight with the SNP. But it's an interesting question is just what people will think of that when they're picking the fight by, um, you know, effectively bypassing the Scottish government. Um, I guess that, again, will depend on which side of the, um, the constitutional debate that you sit on. Yeah, um, I don't think it's going to get better any time soon. 
I think that's the bottom line. Um, just another issue that came up this week, Ben, uh, the latest crackdown on unhealthy food. Clearly, Scotland's got a, a troubling relationship with alcohol, but I think the same argument could be made, not just for Scots, but people uh, across Europe uh, and their relationship with um, you know, high salt, high sugary foods and drinks. Uh, it looks like the Scottish Government is going to be cracking down on things like meal deals, uh, unlimited refills, uh, buy one, get one free deals. What's your thoughts on this? Does this in any way live up to the scale of the problem? It's the completely wrong-headed way of tackling the problem. Um, banning things it is the SNP's knee-jerk response to, to any um, any problem. And uh, again, it's the same approach they've taken with alcohol. It's, you know, it's, everyone gets punished rather than targeting the response at those who need it. Um, you know, why... It's it's a question of, of personal choice and personal freedom and why on earth should someone not be allowed to buy a meal deal? Why on earth should someone not be allowed to buy an extra large drink? When, when, you know when when they're getting a takeaway. It, it the, the the answer to the obesity crisis it lies in educating people and. You know, we know what the SNP are like with education. This should be done through the schools. Um, it shouldn't be done by restricting people's, uh, you know, economic freedom to, to, to buy what they choose. Um, the, the same goes for, for alcohol. Um, you know, we've seen that the SNP love the minimum unit pricing, but the academic studies don't bear it out. It, it, it isn't necessarily working. And, and the same will be true for, uh, for for this junk food crackdown, which Hamza Yusuf has already dropped it once because it was so unpopular and in the middle of the cost of living crisis, trying to restrict access to, to bargain foods. Um, but that, now it's back again. Um, it, it, it's again, it's, co it's coming at this problem from completely the wrong direction and restricting the choice for, for everyone rather than targeting help at, at those who need it. Um, but it, that, it's not surprising because this is just, you know, this is plan A in the SNP's playbook, which unfortunately only has one plan. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if eventually this is, this is uh, ditched again at some point. There was a Scottish government uh, post-cabinet briefing this week where the issue came up and I have to say I didn't think that the First Minister's official spokesperson was massively enthusiastic about some of the things in the consultation and then 24 hours later the First Minister had uh, an event on poverty and he was asked about the, the crackdown and again I just felt he was a little bit cool in it. I don't feel like this is a massive priority for the Scottish Government, maybe they're looking at past rows and, and, and where other policies are unravelled completely. I may be wrong on that, but um, I don't detect a huge amount of enthusiasm. 
where do you stand on this, John? Do you think is it a matter of personal responsibility or do you think there's a role for government to intervene and try and essentially enforce healthier eating habits? Um, I, mean, I don't think it's necessarily a bad idea for the government to try to um, influence society to eat better. So, like Ben said, this, the SNP have tended to be quite interventionist in this type of thing, whether it's banning sectarian singing or banning alcohol below a certain price or it's um, the, the attitude they take is that if you can do something, then you should. In this particular instance, I'm not sure that I'm convinced. I have to say when I first glanced at the headline saying they were going to ban meal deals, I thought maybe this was something to do with them abandoning their free school meal policy in schools which the Daily Records, of course, had on the front page a couple of days ago, um, suggesting that, that that policy was under threat and potentially wasn't going to get rolled out to primary six and sevens, as has been promised. Um, I would suggest that if you want to you know, encourage health eating, then that would be a perfect way to do it, make sure that kids all get something healthy to eat in school. Um, the other thing, meal, I mean, I hold my hands up. I have bought a few meal deals in my day and I don't Shame. think necessarily have to be unhealthy. My experience in this market is that the various supermarkets um, offer, like, you know, you could choose a can of Coke or you can choose water, you could choose... Uh, you know, a healthy sandwich or an unhealthy one, and you can choose to have a bag of crisps or some kind of fruit. So I don't actually think that the new deal represent, um, you know, unacceptably unhealthy meal choices. So I'm, I'm just, I'm not, I don't, I'm not quite sure that I really understand where they're coming from and. But in this one, I think I think meal deals just bring together the you know what um, what is generally accepted to be a reasonable lunch, and that people can buy it for a little bit cheaper than they otherwise could. So I mean, yeah, it left me scratching my head a bit. I think that, that it's a, no objection to in some cases, you know, governments can um, legislate to try to do things they think will make society better and sometimes that will infringe in personal freedoms, but you really need to think carefully about what things you do that with. I know, it just strikes me that even if you think this is a problem, it's not going to be the massive leap forward that everyone thinks it is. It's just, no. It just seems to be window dressing. Um, you know, Surely if you want to encourage healthier lifestyles, you, know, you could maybe like uh, subsidise free gym memberships or subsidise gym memberships. Yeah. Then, of course, you'd probably find that the leisure centres have been closed as a result of the council yeah. tax freeze. And so, even school, and even school play playing fields. You know, there's stories about kids not being able to use them because they're run by some PFI contractor. It's, there's loads of things I think you could do that would improve health and tackle obesity rather than this. Indeed. So just moving on, uh, tomorrow is the beginning of the Scottish Tory conference in Aberdeen. I understand the Prime Minister may be in town. Uh, there was a row at the last Scottish Tory conference after 
they agreed to do a huddle, but only for selected outlets. I don't think I can be holier than thou on this. At the Labour conference uh, in Glasgow recently, the record was the only paper to get access to Keir Starmer. So I'm not going to be too sanctimonious about that sort of thing. But it looks like the Prime Minister is going to be getting access to the Scottish press, which can only be a good thing. Ben, what do you think is the mood of the Scottish Tory troops um, on the eve of this conference? Um, I think that they're quite buoyant, certainly compared to um, the Tories down south. Um, obviously, the, the, the UK party's been in turmoil, it seems, almost constantly for, for a long time now, um, and the polls don't look good. Um, but by contrast, I, uh, you know, I, I think Douglas Ross and his, his team in Scotland uh, and also the, the, the Scotland office uh, team have been doing a good job. Uh, the, the, if you believe the opinion polls, um, it's not all doom and gloom in Scotland. Obviously, they're up and down. Some are better than others. Um, but, but my understanding is that after the general election, they're quietly confident that uh, Scottish Tory HQ certainly of hanging on to the six seats and maybe even adding a few more. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with that actually because I, I, I speak to Tory MSPs and they're expecting a very bad result across the UK. They think that Starmer's going to win, that, that Labour will be the next government. But paradoxically, given that the SNP are in free fall, they think that by the SNP falling at a faster rate than themselves, they could actually pick up two or three seats in addition to holding on to the ones they've got. So um, that's not really going to have a massive impact across the UK in terms of the final result. But Ben, you would imagine it'll be enough to allow Douglas Ross to hold on to his job, certainly up until the, the Holyrood election. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, as I say, I think... Um... I think this happens in elections in Scotland, and it's been a trend in in you know in the past that tactical voting comes into play. People who don't like the SNP, to put it quite bluntly, and don't want politics to be continued to be dominated by the constitutional debate. They're quite happy as part of the United Kingdom. Don't want another referendum. They would like this to be put to bed. Not necessarily dying in the world Tories, but they'll they'll vote for the Conservatives as the party that's you know strongest on the union. Um, I think tactical voting tends to work where um, in favour of, 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 of the Tories in certain areas, but but not in others. That, that you know there are Labour voters who would never in a million years vote Conservative. Um, but then, you know, there's some areas where you, you, there is some crossover. I think it works the other way. I think um, in the past, Scottish Conservatives have been prepared to vote for, for Labour or the Lib Dems to keep the SNP out. Now, what will be interesting is with a change of government on the line and the potential for Keir Starmer getting in, do Scottish Conservatives are they still prepared to back Labour? Um, that, that would be a that would be an interesting one, I think. If you're a if you're a Tory in a seat that the Tories can't win, 
do you still vote Labour? And and potentially then have five years thinking, geez, I, I voted for this mob. Um, so, so there's so a lot I'm, still to play for. But no, I, I think they're, they're quite buoyant to answer your question. John, Ben's right, obviously, that uh, if you are strongly in favour of the United Kingdom, that's your number one issue. Clearly, the Conservatives would be your top choice. Um, but as the Scottish Tory conference begins, what does Douglas Ross and his team actually stand for beyond the union? I mean, can you see any sort of policy platform that could be worked up as a, an alternative government? Because I can't see anything. No, I mean, and I, I don't even feel like the constitution, the independence is such. I think everybody kind of knows that that's off the table for the foreseeable. Um, and I don't think that the, you know, the conservative unionist thing is quite so potent in that respect. Um, but I think that the, I think the Tories in Westminster are clearly um, suffering from being a party who have been in government for a very long time, um, fighting a, you know, an opposition party that's got a lot of ammunition to fire at them. And I think conversely in Scotland, the Conservative Party are benefiting from a party that's been in opposition against a government that's been in power for an awful long time and has, you know, has, there's an awful lot of problems that have built up. Um, I think that if you look overall, you know, probably the most concerning thing really about British politics in general is that from the you know, the SNP to the Conservatives, Labour, Lib Dems, that there's, it's quite difficult on quite a lot of things to really see that much difference be, between them, um, apart from obviously the SNP's support for independence, especially in the Scottish Parliament, it would be if there was a new issue to come up tomorrow, it would be quite difficult to, to predict exactly what position the different parties would take on it, other than that they would want to oppose each other. Yeah, I mean, I can see what the Scottish Tories are against. I'm just not entirely clear what they're for. Um, okay, let's wrap this up. Ben, good week, bad week. Let's start with you. Um, so, uh, I suppose the, the big story away from politics, um, although it, it has come up at FMQs today, so I, I guess it, it is now a political story. It's obviously the uh, Emma Caldwell murder conviction, mm. um, a, a huge, huge story, um, and, and you know a very long-running case, for, very tragic. Um, good week. I'm going to choose uh, Amar Amwar, the, the lawyer who um, acts for the Caldwell families there with, with Margaret Caldwell. He's been instrumental in, in really making sure that the, 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 the mistakes in the investigation have been brought into the, the light and not just buried by, by police. Um, you know, it's, it's unusual to see a conviction in a cold case like this, a very high profile cold case. And rather than the crime itself, almost the, the, the failures in the investigation are, are almost as big. And I think that's 
largely thanks to Amar Anwar and his, his, his efforts in making sure it, it's all brought out. Um, and uh, staying on the subject for a bad week, uh, it's been a bad, a, a bad week for Sir Stephen House, who um, was uh, name-checked by Mr Am Anwar in the statements outside courts. Obviously, he was Chief Constable of Strathclyde Police 2007 to 2013, and then Chief Constable of Police Scotland. Um, I think by the time he arrived at Strathclyde, the original mistake of overlooking Packer had already been made, but, but he clearly didn't do much to pursue the case after he arrived from the Met. But then, m most damningly, when the Sunday Mail revealed Packer as the so-called forgotten suspect, uh, it was under him that instead of reopening the case, the, the, the police tried to... Yeah, another a, disaster a on Sir Stephen House's watch. It, yes, yeah. Mm. Thanks for that, Ben. John, over to you. Um, yeah, I mean, firstly, I would just say that, yeah, the Emma Caldwell case has been uh, is hugely significant, and I would think it's worth mentioning the part that Jim Wilson, former Sunday Mail editor, played in this story, as is before my time at the Sunday Mail, so I've not tried to take any credit, but Jim took an incredibly brave decision in 2015 to put Ian Packer's photograph on the front page and say, this is the forgotten suspect. This is the guy that the police should be looking at. He did that and you know, in the face of some pretty severe legal advice. It was a real moment of publishing be damned and doing something really important in journalism. And I don't think it's too much to say that if he hadn't taken that decision, um, as much as there's some other media outlets claiming that, um, credit for this story. I, don't, I think if Jim hadn't done that and hadn't pursued the story um, week in, week out, then I don't think Ian Packer would have been convicted of this murder. Um, yeah, so, it was pretty extraordinary journalism. I remember reading the, the Sunday Mail that day. can't remember how many pages they gave. I mean, obviously, Brendan McGinty played a yeah. starring role um, in, in the story as well. But yeah, just... Uh, very powerful journalism that's had a positive end result. Yeah, it made a, it made a real difference. Um, in terms of my good week, bad week, I think it's been a good week for Stephen Flynn. Um, this is a story that was kind of started last week and came blend, bled into this one a little bit just in terms of the SNP's attempts to um, get a vote on an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. Um, I think that Stephen Flynn's kind of, you know, come of age uh, in his role as the SNP's Westminster leader on this. I think he's been really good and I think he's expressed um, a case that is very much in line with what a lot of people in the country are feeling at the moment. People are feeling like politics is out of touch with what they think on the subject. and. Um, Conversely, I think it's been a bad week for this speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, who, after this really pretty lamentable decision to um, dump the SNP's um, vote in favour of a Labour motion, which completely broke with convention and appeared to have been against the accepted rules 
Um, he then, in the face of the furore at this, um, promised that he would allow the SNP to have an urgent debate. Then, in the beginning of this week, he just said, well, no, actually, we're not going to bother doing that. Um, I think you're looking on at this and whether you're an independence fan or an SNP fan, you really are, you have to think that the SNP and Scotland as a result, given that the vast majority of Scottish MPs are SNP MPs, really has been treated pretty abysmally and that there's serious questions to be answered and it's quite concerning the kind of the, the lack of interest among the um, Westminster media and establishment in terms of, you know, having those questions answered. All right, John, thanks for that. I think that pretty much concludes. Let's get back to our uh, day jobs of, you know, hunting down truth and justice. That's what we do, is it not? Um, so, of course. I think, I, indeed. I, I hope that... Uh, Everyone enjoyed that episode of Planet Holyrood and please uh, join us again next week where I think it will be Hannah Roger and uh, Dougie from the Scottish Daily Express. Cheers. It's important we look at the facts. Why? Why? Douglas Ross is sounding pretty scared. I believe in independence. And he clapped like a seal. (laughs) 